Thank you. Be seated. Today is super special for us because we've got another baptism uh, coming up in the second service. Had one last week, one today, one next week. And we're just praying God continues to move in our midst. We continue to study the scripture and memorize the scripture. And so by now you're a little more familiar with how we're doing this. So we say the scripture reference. It's Romans 3.23. You'll notice today there's not much of your little verse left. Next week there won't be any of it left. You better know it by next week, right? So Romans 3.23, we'll say the verse. And then we'll say Romans 3.23 again. You ready? Let's say that together. Romans 3.23 For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3, 23. If you don't know that, you can pick up a verse pack at the Next Step Center. Today's a special day for us because we're launching another life group class. We launched one last week for uh, mothers and dads of preschoolers who have come through our More Than Moms ministry. Uh, And they had a great start, Alan and Delinia's class. And this week... We're launching a class for people who are 55 years of age and older. Shorty Ambrose and Derward Blanks are teaching that class right now. If you missed it this week, it's all right. You can catch it next week. And I won't be offended if you get up and leave right now and go to it if you're more interested in that than being in here. That's all right. Uh, But it's in room 2106C, as in Charlie. 2106C, as in Charlie, the 9 o'clock hour. And so that's exciting, and they're coming out of Rob Torbert's class. If you're, in, if you're part of Rob Torbert's class, stand up in here. If you're, if you're in Rob Torbert's class, stand up. Yeah, let's give them a hand this morning. That's a lot of folks who've sent out another group leading the way. Yeah, and what God's doing. And next week, we've got another class starting. And if you're counting, that's three. We said nine in the first 90 days. That's three, Bala um, Rao and Philip Lim starting that. And that's also for people 55 years of age and above. And we'll have more information about that next week. And you say, why are we starting on these classes for old people? huh?" Well, they're not old. They're emerging senior adults. They're in denial that they're senior adults. Uh, But let me tell you why. Senior adults, this emerging group of baby boomers, is one of the largest unreached people groups in our nation. And it's special to me because that's my parents' age, right? And so we're thinking about how can we impact this emerging group of seniors for Christ? Because... Guys, they don't have much time left. That's terrible, isn't it? It's terrible. Hey, but be serious for a minute. We, have a, we really do have a window of opportunity, and we've got to take advantage of it. We're getting to the point where we've got to be sharing Christ across all generations. It's not just enough for our young people for our young adults, our median adults, but for this emerging group of senior adults, we've got to be sharing Christ with them because this is going to be their window. This is the fourth quarter, right? And so we've got to be, be doing that. So if you have a, a friend who's a senior adult, somebody who lives in your neighborhood who's a senior adult, make sure you bring them to church. Make sure you invite them to be part of this. I'm also pretty excited right now about gospel engagements. We've crossed 4,000. Praise the Lord for that. And, uh, yeah, that's, that's big right there. This week, one of the exciting things that happened was a mom sent me an email and said, hey, uh, my daughter wanted to record a gospel engagement. She was explaining what a gospel engagement is to her preschool-aged little sister. And she said, mom, I have an idea. I want to put a gospel engagement video on Facebook. And that's gotten like 1,600 views uh, already. And we're just praising God for that. Uh, Our kids will lead the way if we'll get out of the way and let them do it, you know. 
Uh, they figure it out. And so we're praising the Lord for that. Over the last three weeks, we've been looking at these gospel engagements, and at the heart of them was the Holy Spirit. And you say, well, how? How does that all work out? Well, God was prompting someone to share the gospel, and the Holy Spirit was doing that. And so it's fitting for us over the next few weeks to study the work of the Holy Spirit. And today we're going to do an overview of the Holy Spirit's work and the person of the Holy Spirit. And so I'm going to ask you to do something that I never ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to not worry about flipping in your Bible to all of these passages of scriptures, but to get your notebook out, your bulletin, a pen, a piece of paper, and write these scriptures down, and you'll be able to go back and look at them. They'll all be on the screen as we go through this. But I don't want you to get lost in what we're doing talking about the Holy Spirit because we need to ask ourselves the question, what is the Holy Spirit? Who is the Holy Spirit? And what is the role of the Holy Spirit in working in the believer's life? And so as we do that, we need to be ready. Uh, there's a couple of dangers as we talk about the Holy Spirit that I think we need to address before we get started. Uh, one is that you could be so today, I guess, locked down on the technicalities and what we might call the theology, the study of God in the Holy Spirit, that you could see this as an informational purpose thing only. And you say, I got all that. I understand the Holy Spirit. And the danger is that uh, sometimes when we talk about understanding the Holy Spirit and we study it from kind of the only the intellectual side of things, it's that when God doesn't operate in the little box that we create for him, it makes it very difficult for us to spot that as the work of the Holy Spirit. And the antidote for that is to spend time in the Scripture and let the, let the Spirit guide you into all truth from the Scripture. The other kind of danger is when we sit back and almost throw up our hands kind of in exasperation and just say, well, this is too much for me and I, I don't need to know about all of this and I'll just say that this is too complicated, but I want to remind you that if you dismiss the intellectual side of learning about the Holy Spirit or of God, it really tends to let us rely only on an emotional experience, and that's very, very dangerous because when you were saved, God redeemed kind of three things in your life. He, he did redeem your emotions, but he also redeemed your intellect, your mind, and your will. And so God's able to teach you things, and there's not a person in here that can't understand the work of the Holy Spirit and be guided by the Spirit in your life. I want you to listen to this quote from Leon Morris. There are many for who the idea of the personal contact with the Holy Spirit is preposterous and even vaguely embarrassing. They do not deny there is such a thing as the gift of the Holy Spirit, but they seem to hold that it is an optional extra for honor students, so to speak. Outstanding saints may be inspired by the Holy Spirit, but hardly the rank-and-file church membership. That's totally wrong, right? What he's saying is the Holy Spirit indwells all of us, right? It's a gift given by the Lord, and so you need to be able to understand the role of the Holy Spirit and his work in our lives. So dive right in with us today. And uh, we'll see this. When we talk about the Holy Spirit, we're talking about the third person of the Trinity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit make up the Trinity. And we use this term Trinity even though it's not found in the Scripture. If you search the Scripture today, you wouldn't find the word Trinity. But you would find God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And in fact, you'd find it in the first pages of the Bible. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1, talk about the Trinity at work in the creative process. Let me read it for you. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there 
was light. Some have argued incorrectly that God has existed eternally and has sometimes chosen to express himself as God the Father or as God the Spirit or when Jesus came to earth as God the Son. And that's incorrect. God has always existed in this triune form, this three-person trinity. God is one, but he exists in three. And that's kind of hard to understand sometimes. And all the analogies that we use really break down for that. And, and I don't want to use any of those because I really think they fall short. God's expressed himself as it is. And sometimes we just need to wrestle with it a little bit. But in Genesis chapter 1, we see God the Father speaking things into existence. God the Holy Spirit kind of hovering over the deep, it says, and holding all things together. But we also see in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26, which I don't have on the screen for you, when Jesus was, uh, when God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit were in the garden and they were ready to bring man into the earth, they said, let us make man in our image. That's interesting. Our image, the plurality there. The Gospel of John gives us some more insight into this creative process. As Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1 gives us insight from the Old Testament, John chapter 1 and verse 1 reads like this. In the beginning was the Word, speaking of Jesus, and the Word was with God. The Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. So we see that God the Father was speaking these things into existence. And I've said it before, Jesus is that creative arm. He's the implementer of that. And so when you think about creativity in your life, that doesn't come just because you naturally have it or don't have it. That's a misnomer, by the way. Every person's creative. You just express it in different ways. Some people are creative in finance. Some people are creative in art or music. Everybody is creative. Don't, don't miss out on that this morning. But you see all three persons of the Trinity existing from eternity, and they were active in creating the world we live in today. So who exactly is the Holy Spirit? Well, we can understand more easily, I think, the idea of God the Father and God the Son, but the Spirit seems to be lost on us. And this difficulty really comes for us, I think, in understanding what he does. As we begin, we need to deal also with whether or not the Spirit is a power or a person. A power or a person. Some people think the Holy Spirit's a power that God uses without personality. And that too is incorrect. The scripture is quite clear that the Holy Spirit is more than a power. He's a person, fully God, part of the Trinity. The writers of the New Testament refer to the Spirit with the masculine pronoun, he. They didn't say it. They didn't refer to God as mother nature or she it's it's he and and sometimes we want to take that and we want to call God something and make it something different but to do so diminishes what God has revealed about himself it's a disservice in changing what God has revealed about himself in the same way if we only re kind of think of God uh, the Holy Spirit as this mysterious power we're missing out on so much that is available to us because we're missing the relationship that is available you don't have a relationship with an it right? It's a chair. I don't have a relationship with a chair. I don't have a relationship with a disembodied power, right, that sometimes just comes whenever. I have a relationship with God, and God can be known. He's revealed himself in Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ said he was sending the Holy Spirit so that we could know him, to be known. Listen to what J.M. Boyce once said, if we think of the Holy Spirit as a mysterious power, our thoughts will be, how can I get more of the Holy Spirit? 
But if we think of the Holy Spirit as a person, we will ask, how can this Holy Spirit have more of me? Big difference, right? It's the Holy Spirit living in my life and me yielding my life to the Spirit moment by moment, day by day. Jesus spoke of the Holy Spirit in terms of deity, not a power, when he promised the disciples that another helper would come. John 14 16, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. The word that Jesus used there before the word helper was the word another. He had two choices that he could use to say the word another. And he chose to use the word that means one of the same kind. I'm going to send someone who's another helper, like me, one of the same kind, deity. He could have used the, there's another word that he could have used for another that said it would have been totally different, something that's unlike what you have seen. But Jesus was saying the Holy Spirit's going to come and he is God. He is divine. He is like me. In other places like the book of Acts, we see the designation holy in front of the word spirit in the same way that we see the word holy in front of God or the construction, the holy lamb of God to describe Jesus. So it's clear that the biblical writers and even Jesus himself see the spirit as the divine person of the Trinity. And that gets us then to the work of the Holy Spirit. The person of the Holy Spirit does what? Does it work? And there's five things, and we could go more, but there are five kind of broad things that we see the Holy Spirit doing, and I want to get into that now, five things. Number one, the Holy Spirit inspired the writing of the Bible. The Holy Spirit inspired the writing of the Bible. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 20, but know this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. When we read the Bible, we need to make sure that we understand it's not as if someone sat down and thought, I think I'll write the Bible today. We ought to have a Bible. And it's not how it worked. The Holy Spirit moved in people's lives, and they began to write. And what was left for us was a scripture that is perfect in its ways. It is without error. We call it inerrant. And I don't want to spend too much time on this because we covered this in the sermon series that I did called Foundations. You can find it on our website, and it's under the heading The Bible. And you ought to go back and listen to that if you missed it because it explains how did we get the Bible, what do we need to do with the Bible, why should it have absolute authority over our lives. So the Holy Spirit guided the writing of the, of the Holy Scriptures. Secondly, the Holy Spirit guides us into truth. That would make sense, right? Since the Holy Spirit guided people to write the Bible, then the Holy Spirit guides us into all truth. Listen to John 16, 13. But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak of his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will disclose to you what is to come. You know, it's funny because it wouldn't be a shock for you today if I kind of said this, that truth is under attack in all cultures all around the world. Now, this isn't new. And in fact, in our culture, many years back, it really uh, was kind of kicked off with the idea of relative truth. And it's even changed beyond that. Relative truth was the idea, right, that truth didn't really have to be absolute. Now we've gone even a step further. And here's what we encourage people to do. You can raise your hand if you've heard people say this. I want you to speak your truth. Your truth. Well, if your truth and my truth don't match up, someone is messed up, right? 
truth can't be your truth and my truth and be conflicting and be the same. It, it doesn't work. It's an illogical statement. And I guess what's kind of funny or at least comical to me from an outsider looking in is that we've been told in this debate that Scripture is completely unreasonable and that what you ought to be doing is making sure that you listen to things like science. So science informs how the world was made. And, and if you don't believe that you evolved from something, then you're an idiot. That, that's where you're at. And, and we, we say that and hold that up as a disclaimer to the scripture. But then when it comes to gender, gender identity, science already knows that you can't be something that you're not, right? But we just disregard that. Why? Because truth, when it's not truth, is used so you can live however you want to live. That's dangerous for the world, but listen to me if you're a believer. That's catastrophic catastrophic for you if you believe that truth is a moving target your life is headed for catastrophe the Holy Spirit gives us the scripture then he tells us how to live in truth so we shouldn't be surprised when we see the outside world struggling with these issues right I mean, that, that makes sense but it should shock us when we see ourselves questioning truth and going, I don't know if I'm going to live by that. You know, maybe my truth is a little bit different because we're living in a different day and an era. Folks, that's catastrophic for us. If we never listen to what God says in his word and yield our lives to the Holy Spirit, we won't know the truth. And it's important that you understand what I'm saying. You're missing the Holy Spirit's work in your life. If you're not living by the truth, you're missing it, right? Third thing, Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin. Because the Holy Spirit knows all truth and reveals all truth, he's able to convict the world of sin. Now, sometimes we feel like that's our job to do is to convict people of sin, and that's not. Your job is not to take the role of the Holy Spirit on in your life. He's God. He's perfect. He does it great. You don't. You know what I mean? Now, that, that's how that works. Now, it's not that it, as if we can't point out things that are wrong, you know, that kind of thing. But my job is not to be the Holy Spirit in your life, and yours isn't to be it in my life. The Holy Spirit is convicting the world of sin. Listen to John 16, 8. When he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. And so when we talk about gospel engagements, we remind ourselves again today, the Holy Spirit is at work convicting people of sin and judgment and just the need to understand their relationship is lacking when it comes to Jesus Christ and forgiveness of sin. So the Holy Spirit does that. He convicts the world of sin and that's why we always need to be ready to share Christ with people. You never know if the person you're going to share with this week has already been being drawn by the Holy Spirit in conviction, right? And you may walk right up to them and say, hey, can, can I have this gospel engagement with you? I want to share this tract with you. And God's been drawing them, and they're ready to receive. You never, ever know. So that's why we have to be ready in season and out of season. Number four, the Holy Spirit shapes our character. The Apostle Paul wrote about our character formation in the book of Galatians, chapter 5, verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. Every day that you wake up, there's a battle raging in your life, right? You can choose to live according to the desires of the flesh. And what that means is the old sin nature, if you're a believer. And you could choose to live according to the desire of the Spirit, to yield your life to the Spirit. And let me show you how this might work. You're sitting at school or at work, 
and everything's normal, right? Everything's fine. And all of a sudden, you see someone or you think about someone who you don't like. They maybe tried to do you harm. And truthfully, if we could peel back your skull and read your brain waves, it'd say something like this. I'd like to ball up my fist and hit that person in the nose. Now, you'd never do that, bless God, right? But inside, you start thinking about all the ways you'd like to get even with them. How you hope they get the flu this season, right? You start thinking about how you wish that they trip and fall with that hot cup of coffee. You start thinking about how you really hate them. You can give in to that right then, right? And you can run down that road. And, and guess what? Nobody knows but you. That's what you think anyway. Nobody knows but you. And you can just play that little battle in the mind. Or you can yield to the Spirit as soon as that starts and just say, Look, they may have wanted to do me harm, Lord. But I'm going to let you handle all kinds of revenge and vindication in people's lives. That's not my job. It's yours. I'm going to love that person. And I'm going to yield. What I want is to hit them in the nose. What I'm going to do, Lord, is to live like Jesus. That's your character being formed. Chapter 5, the book of Galatians, starts talking about the desires of the flesh that come up in our lives. All kinds of carnality, things that we want to do to gratify our bodies and then in verse 22, he begins to talk about these things that when the Holy Spirit is alive in your life, you begin to see love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's living to the Spirit. It's stopping and saying, Holy Spirit, have more of me. This area of my life, not good. Because what I really want is to make myself feel better in this situation. Holy Spirit, I yield. I need you, Lord, to help me in this. And I'm going to yield. Not my will, but yours. Number five, and I think for the believer, this is the one I like the best. The Holy Spirit prays for you. You ever had a time when you went before the Lord to pray? You pulled out your little prayer list, and you started to pray, and... I just want anything to pray. You just looked at it and said, Lord, uh, I don't know what to say. I don't know how to pray. I don't know what to do. I'm not even sure I can pray. My, my heart is just breaking, Lord. How can I pray? Good news. Romans 8, 26 in the same way, the Spirit also helps in our weakness, for we don't know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Lord, I don't know how to pray your will in this situation. Don't worry, the Holy Spirit does. And he stands before the throne of the Father, and he prays for Jeff, and he prays for Dan. And he prays for Cindy in camp. And he just says, Lord, according to your will, make this happen. That gives me comfort. When I don't know what to pray, all I have to do is go before the Spirit and just confess my weakness. I don't know what to pray today. Help me, Lord. Change my heart. Open my eyes. Let me see what you're seeing, Lord, so that I can be fully aware of your activity in my life. So if the Holy Spirit does all of this, why wouldn't we want to be acquainted with him? Why would we not want to 
hang out with the Holy Spirit? I think we would. In the next few weeks, we're going to look at some particular passages that will help us to do that. You know, I I want you to, to understand that the Holy Spirit is someone who lives within you. And as a believer, he's been there all the time. If you're not saved today, if you've never given your life to Christ, the Holy Spirit is drawing you to him. And maybe he has been drawing you, and that's why you're here And in a moment, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And a prayer doesn't save anyone. A confession of Jesus Christ as Lord and the faith that comes with that is what saves us. It's not a perfect prayer. It's not a a prayer found in the Bible. It's a model prayer that we, we sometimes call the sinner's prayer where we just say to the Lord, save me, forgive me, cleanse me. Holy Spirit, come live in my life today. I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins and I believe that he rose from the dead and I need to be changed Today, for you as a believer, it may be that part of that conviction of sin has been that the Holy Spirit is saying, you know, before we take the Lord's Supper here in a minute, there's some things we have to deal with. You need to yield to me. There can only be one person on the throne of your life, not two. It's not a shared throne, right? So every time we yield to the Spirit, we step aside and say, Jesus, you're on the throne. And every time we yield to our own flesh, what happens is we move Jesus off, right? Put the crown on our head and sit down and say, I like it better when I'm in control. It it doesn't work. It won't work. And so as we come to this time, we're about to observe the Lord's Supper. And this is going to be our invitation time today. And after the service, if you need to talk with someone, if you need to kind of firm up a decision about your life in Jesus Christ, I'll be down here at the front. I'm not going to leave today. I'm not going to go out in the lobby. Be happy to talk with you about that. If you need prayer today after the service, I'll be down here. We're about to enter into a time where we celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the scripture says we do that to remind us of a few things. One is that we proclaim his death until he comes. Two, we use it as an opportunity for introspection. Are we right with the Lord? And three, it just does something to our faith, strengthens us when we think back on his sacrifice. Now, anyone can take part in the Lord's Supper if you're a Christ follower, if you've given your life to Christ. If you're not, we'd ask you to not take part in the Lord's Supper. But let me say this to all of the Christians. There's nothing wrong today with not partaking in the Lord's Supper because there's something that you're dealing with God about or there's a relational issue that's broken in your life that you need to make right. There's no, there's no shame in that. It's okay to say, today I'm, I'm not ready because when we take the Lord's Supper, what we're saying is, Lord... As it depends on me, I am right with you, and I'm right in my relationships. And so I'm going to ask you right now to bow into a time of prayer. I'm going to ask our deacons to come, and as we do this, sit on our front row. If in your life you need to give your life to Christ this morning, I would just ask you, to say a prayer like this, Lord, I need you. My life has been mine, but today it is yours. Save me.
forgive me. Cleanse me of my sin. I believe that Jesus is the Lord, the Son of God, who died on the cross in my place to save me. I believe that he was buried and rose again. And today, in faith, I make you the Lord of my life. Thank you for saving me. For those of us who are believers, that we might in this moment just say, Lord, search me and try me and see if there is any wicked way within me. If there is, confess it. And claim the promise of Scripture that God creates clean hearts and can restore the joy of salvation. Lord Jesus, as we take this supper, we thank you that your finished work on the cross has saved us. Holy Spirit, we thank you for protecting us, counseling us, guiding us into truth. And we thank you that you live within us. And as we take this supper, we proclaim the work of Christ in our lives. And for those who do not yet know you, Lord, we pray for them that today would be the day of salvation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.